January 16, 2018. Welcome back to the Ion College Basketball Podcast. I got Matt Norlander here with me, and surprise, surprise, you're not going to believe this, but the Kansas Jayhawks are alone atop the Big 12 standings, at least temporarily. And Norlander, it's just, and people who listen to this podcast regularly are going to understand this, it's just like what I've been telling you for several weeks now, consistently, like, do not count out Kansas. Do not ever doubt Kansas because they will make you look stupid. Have you learned your, your lesson now? Sorry, what? Have you learned your lesson about Kansas? You consistently being skeptical of Bill Self's Jayhawks, and now here they are again, sitting alone atop the Big 12 standings, at least temporarily. Have you learned your lesson? That's my question. I'm sorry. What? See, this Have- is when I wish we had some sort of producer on a board able to just drop these audio clips of you (laughs) at least four of them over the past month (laughs) like demonstrably doubting kansas and it is it is so kansas to be in this situation right now because they had gone on a four game losing streak at west virginia heading into that game last night in morgantown doesn't look like a vintage Kansas team. West Virginia's looked very, very good and was riding until recently the longest win streak in college basketball. And then wouldn't you know it, they go in and come back, as we're going to get to on this podcast, we've got um, Blue Blood programs facing big-time second-half deficits on the road and that just simply not mattering. Kansas came back, I think, the largest uh, – uh, deficit they had was 16 points against West Virginia. I, GP, I think that's what it was. And I, I feel like if West Virginia is at home against any opponent and they have a 16-point lead, they're winning that game. Like It doesn't feel like an exaggeration. This West Virginia team is winning that game probably 98% of the time. Sure. You know? And yet Kansas, which has not been dominant in almost any game that it's played, and it wasn't dominant in this game either, but it, it found the streak that it needed. And, uh, frankly, Svi Mikhailik played probably a top-three game of his life. Um, Devontae Graham made big plays. Yudoka Azubuki stepped up and was big. Uh, this was ridiculous. And when we get to the end of the regular season and Kansas is sitting atop the Big 12 standings, as they will, as I said they would be, as it shall be, <laughs> you know, time eternal... Uh, this is probably going to be uh, the 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 game that signaled why this was going to, you know, the fates would align as they always do here with the Jayhawks. Um, but I did want to I did want to uh, get into the game, but you know, ask you now mm. on January sixteenth, mm. uh, Kansas to the field, my friend. I think they'll share it. I think okay. they'll share the title, but. And that'll extend the streak to 14 years. I mean, sharing it is good enough, uh, given the standards that are in place. Um, but last night really does change everything. It changes the perception of that team. And not really last night as much as that second half. They outscored West Virginia by 18 points in the second half at West Virginia. That's a West Virginia team that uh, has been ranked as highly as second in the country. Uh, a West Virginia team that beat Virginia, the team that's now ranked second in the country, I think. Um, certainly ranked in the uh, in the top two at the in the top twenty five and one like they handled them in that building and so you go up big on anybody Kansas included you're supposed to handle that and yet Kansas comes storming back it changes the perception in a matter of twenty minutes of that team and also changes like 
the league because they didn't just win a game. They won a game where probably nobody else is going to win. They won a game on the road against one of their most serious, if not the most serious threat to their string of Big 12 titles. And uh, it, it like it, you know, it, it was as, as impressive as Duke's win at Miami was. And we will get to that. Um, I was more surprised by Kansas a winning at West Virginia, but certainly coming down from double digits like you're just not supposed to do that. And West Virginia obviously contributed to it. They finished five of 27 um, from three point range. So. Um, if you can't make more than five, you shouldn't take 27. <laughs> That's a problem. Yeah. Uh, but either way, like focusing on West Virginia seems a little silly. The story is Kansas sitting there with five Big 12 wins on January 16th. Yeah, West Virginia is still a very, very good team. One game doesn't change that. Um, still a team I think is capable of making the Final Four. But Kansas to get this kind of win. And Devontae Graham now, he's averaging 18.3 points per game, 7.3 assists. 3.4 rebounds, 2.0 steals. He was not on our midseason first-team All-American team, wasn't deserving of being on that, and wasn't strongly considered. But that kind of win with the way that he played, uh, he had 16 points, 6 assists, and played all 40 minutes. If he winds up as a first-team All-America, this kind of game is going to be what factors into a lot of that. Obviously, he's going to have to keep that up in Kansas. He's going to have to continue winning and finish atop the Big 12, probably for, for Graham to get there. But uh, he played with the kind of headiness that we expected him to play with most of the season. To be frank, pun intended, he has not been what Mason was last season. And nor, and I think I mentioned this either last summer or in the preseason um, you know, Bill Self, I, you know, told told me uh, in July, you know, just Frank is not Frank was not the kind of player that we're going to ask Devontae to be. And Devontae can't be what Frank was. And they're just they're different kind of guys. He's not Devontae's not going to do what Frank Mason did for us. Um, so we weren't expecting some sort of uh, heroic season from Graham, especially with a four guard attack, even if Graham was going to be the primary, if not only true point guard on that team. Uh, but big time, big time for him. But but with Svee, man, this is a guy who has been hyped since he uh, came over from the Ukraine and has just merely had, uh, you know, he's had a solid college career. He has not been the kind of player that many thought he would be. He certainly had a reputation of being a guy that would not stay all four years at Kansas because of his pro potential, in part because of how young he was when he got to college and the potential many saw him having. Uh, but he still is, you know, he is a three-point threat, and he made some really, really good plays in a tough spot last night. That was a just a wild outcome. And for Big 12 fans listening to this and for people listening to this podcast that get sick of Kansas, that is the kind of game where you're like, I just cannot freaking stand how the Jayhawks continue to do this every single year. Now, as a writer who watches this and, and covers it, it's, it's not a huge surprise, but I will say it's damn interesting to just see the different kinds of ways that Bill Self is able to coach his team into winning these kinds of games. And I've spoken with coaches over the years, and they say, listen, telling you when you look at the kinds of players that self has had over the seasons yes he's had nba prospects he's had really good players but there are so many instances where his teams get wins and they have no business doing it most other teams in those kind of spots and certain kind of games against certain kinds of opponents or if you take a look at at time and score and situation in games and say okay in this in this spot right here almost every other team would come out with a loss but you fast forward four minutes and Kansas wins again and again and again. And you can't say that it was the home refing and Allen Fieldhouse because that was in dangerous territory in Morgantown last night. Just really, really impressive. Um, I'm not 
all in on Kansas in terms of a top five likely national champion at this point. But still, yes, finishing atop the Big 12, uh, big turn of events in the league there. And now they get some of that mystique back. Let's see if someone can really punch Kansas in the mouth again going forward and, and try and steal one at Allen Fieldhouse because I think that's going to be necessary I don't know if it's going to happen because they've already dropped games there this season. I think it's going to be necessary, though, if you still have any hope of Kansas not winning the league. The other thing I think Bill deserves a lot of credit for is the way he develops these players. I mean, yeah, he gets the one-and-dones every once in a while. I mean, Wiggins, MB, Josh Jackson. But he does not recruit like Kentucky recruits or like Duke recruits. They get, for every three, and I'm, obviously I'm talking off the top of my head here, so the numbers might not add up exactly. But basically, it's like for every three, you know, elite level guys that Kentucky or Duke gets, Kansas gets one. You know, this team is Devontae Graham's team. Devontae Graham coming out of high school is just a guy. Like he's just a sub 100 recruit. Like was well, supposed know, to go he, to Appalachian State, I believe, and there was a whole thing about getting him out of his right. LOI. Right, and uh, he finally gets out of it, obviously. I think Jason Capel was the coach there at the time. So he uh, finally gets out of the letter of intent, lands at Kansas, and now he's turned into a legitimate All-America candidate. Um, LeGerald Vick, just a guy coming out of high school. Mm-hmm. like he, He's a, a kid from Memphis that wasn't even like a big topic of conversation in Memphis. Then he ends up in Kansas, and now he's a legitimate NBA prospect. And, of course, Frank Mason was the least heralded prospect in the Andrew Wiggins, Joel Embiid um, recruiting class. I'm right. trying to think who else, who else was in there. Maybe Wayne Selden, yeah. Connor Frank. Originally Towson Bound, by the way, Frank Mason, too. Uh, yeah, uh, Connor Frank Camp was in that. And, and the least heralded uh, prospect in that class was Frank Mason. He goes on to be you know, a national player of the year. So um, just from every angle, like it's a, it's a, it's a program operating at the, at the highest level of the sport. And here's – um, the bad news, I guess, if you're uh, a fan of another Big 12 school, they're probably going to be better next year, hey, like almost regardless of who they lose. Because I've got some people at Kansas telling me that the best player in the practices is actually Diedrich Lawson, who's sitting out this year. And so you add him, you add Charlie Moore, you add KJ Lawson, you add the recruiting class. They're going to be preseason top five probably again, no matter who leaves and who stays, and the favorite to win the Big 12 again. Uh, no matter who wins, uh, who leaves or, or who stays. And last night's win was just a reminder that, yeah, if I'm wrong, then then I've been wrong. But it does look like uh, after getting that victory last night that they, they're probably going to be able to at least get a share of their 14th consecutive Big 12 title. Buying tickets to sports and concerts can be complicated and confusing, but there is a better way to buy now, and that is with SeatGeek. It's the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to every type of event. And when you are buying tickets now, after you download that SeatGeek app, make sure to use the promo code COLLEGEBB. That's COLLEGEBB because you're going to get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. And not just for a college basketball game. Any game, football, a concert, doesn't matter. If you're buying tickets for the first time via SeatGeek and you're using that SeatGeek app and you use that promo code COLLEGEBB, they're going to take $20 off of your purchase. Uh, SeatGeek is awesome because it searches multiple ticket sites for you. You don't have to go over here, then go over there, then look at this other place. Uh, they'll do that for you. They'll search multiple ticket sites. They'll find the best seat. Uh, they'll find the best seat for you. Uh, they'll find the best value for you. Find the best price for you. And then it's just a couple of taps, and you are good to go. So if you don't have the SeatGeek app yet, go get it. That's SeatGeek. Millions of tickets in one place. Duke won last night. 
at Miami. I think we both incorrectly. We missed both games. Yeah, that sounds like us, doesn't it? It really does. Yes. <laughs> we picked the home teams and the non-Blue Blood programs, the teams not coached by Hall of Famers. And yeah, Huggins eventually might be one. He is not one right now. And He's nominated. We He's nominated. He is. Yep. So, yeah, Duke won. That was – I mean, GP, did you see all that game? Did you did you watch how the whole I, thing I saw I saw most of that game. I was busy also writing a fifteen hundred word Politex column for some okay, stupid fair. reason, <laughs> but but I did see most of that game. And um, I guess I'd say this: I did a video hits with CBS Sports this morning, and the host asked me why is it that for parts of that game last night Duke looked like completely out of sorts, like they don't even look like a top ten team. And then they look like the best team in the country. It's not even close. And I think this, the obvious answer to that is that they are just as young as they are talented, just as talented as they are young. And sometimes they look like a team that is not only starting four freshmen, but playing four freshmen more than 30 minutes a game. Like if you look at their uh, breakdown, they, they play their five starters. Almost nobody else plays. Uh, you know, I, I don't think anybody else other than starters played more than 10 minutes, played more than nine minutes last night. So sometimes they look like a team that's playing that, that's playing four freshmen a whole lot. And it's still January. And that's difficult, even if the four freshmen are super talented. And then sometimes like the second half of that game last night, they look like the most talented team in the country. You know, when you've got a senior former All-America uh, performer in Grayson Allen uh, Marvin Bagley next to him, who could be the number one pick in the NBA draft. Wendell Carter, who has been good, overshadowed by his teammate, but still very, very good and possible lottery pick. Uh, Trayvon Duvall, who has his obvious flaws, but is still um, just uh, devastating uh, in the open court. And then Gary Trent Jr. just going to go get 30 on you? Like you don't even we like how, how often we've talked about Duke and we don't have, we've never mentioned Gary Trent and yet he just go get thirty on the road against a team that was ranked top fifteen preseason. Um, it was just it was a, a super impressive performance and a reminder that yes they are a flawed basketball team they can't guard man to man at all but when they get going they're tough to deal with. Man, this is a captivating team because it is almost predispositioned to thrive when it is facing double-digit deficits in the second half. Now, it has lost at Boston College, has lost at NC State, and it faced its second-half deficit against BC and was not able to overcome that back and all the way on December 9th. We're more than a month removed from that game. This season is flying by. Um, but uh, beat Portland State, Texas, Florida in this kind of fashion. Um, to do it against Miami... Uh, just a real quick thing on Miami here. That that team's got to establish a tournament r resume in a hurry. That game flipped on them in a hurry, and they went from having a really good home win on its resume to now facing a situation where they, they've got to start uh, stockpiling good wins because they just don't have a lot there. And if you made the tournament field right now, uh, at best – Miami's probably an 11 seed, and I have not done the I haven't done the uh, the math on it. They might have they might not have a case to be even the tournament at this point with that loss last night. Even though they have a 13 and four record, they're at NC State on Sunday. 
Got to get that win or things get damn urgent in a hurry. With Duke, I'm glad you brought up Trent. Obviously, you should because he put up a career-high 30 points. Here's what's nuts. He's the first Duke freshman ever to go back-to-back games with at least six three-pointers made. He's only the fourth Duke player ever. The last Duke player to do it, GP. Did you read my story? Do you know the answer? Who was it? That's what I thought. Okay, so the last Duke player to go uh, back-to-back games with six three-pointers was Jason Williams. Now, Jay Williams, he was known as Jason back then. He did that in 2001. No freshman's ever done it. J.J. Redick never went back-to-back games with six three-pointers. Pretty impressive by Trent. And for Duke to have this, to have Marvin Bagley, who, by the way, now has more double-doubles halfway through a season than any Duke freshman ever, and he is going to set the program record by a mile. Actually, it's not even any Duke freshman. It's any Duke player because Jabari Parker and some dude in the 70s had 14 in a season. Uh, That was the record. Now Bagley has the most in a season. Um, He's probably going to have at least 30 at the end of the year. He was just okay last night. You know, he he wasn't wasn't even that great. Grayson Allen <laughs> looked like the fourth or fifth most important player on the floor, but now you have a Wendell Carter who has a very good game, and if people that follow the sport year-round remember when Duke got Wendell Carter, it was a really big-time deal because he was going to step in and be the pivotal, reliable front-court presence. And then when Bagley came, Carter was overshadowed. Uh, yeah, Carter could very easily be a lottery pick, and last night he showed a lot why. He's got tremendous feel around the rim. He's able to put the ball in the deck from 16, 17 feet out and create something for himself and create space for his teammates. He did a lot of that. And then Trent, who in my opinion as a recruit was a little more of a chucker than I liked him to be. I'm not as in on him as a lot of people, but yes, he can have a scorer's mentality and can come up big when Duke needs him. And now maybe we're seeing that when he can do that, maybe Grayson Allen doesn't need to be the second most important player on the team Maybe, um, but for them to do what they did, and they just do not panic. It is so freaking weird to watch a team this young not have to rely on Grayson Allen when it's on the road against what I think is a decent team, and yet they're able to just make their run, just rip off an 18 to nothing run like it's nothing. Um, this is just, it's bizarre, and I want to say it's going to catch up to them because they do have two losses. But at the same time, maybe maybe it doesn't. Like maybe they lose in the tournament, and it's not because of this. You know, and maybe they win two games in the tournament despite having these kinds of deficits, and they lose for a different reason altogether. Um, but obviously, with this amount of talent and that coaching, you just you cannot take Duke out uh, for the same reasons that that Oklahoma's offense and Duke and Oklahoma are the two highest scoring teams in college basketball right now. For the same reasons that Oklahoma has Trey Young and that offense is so good, like. They are going to be, you know, capable of winning the NCAA tournament no matter what. Duke, because of its talent and its proven ability to just not freak out when it's facing these big deficits, they're always going to be in the mix to win every single game they play going forward. Yeah, obviously they got to get better defensively. And whether that means, like, actually get better in what it is K wants them to do or just play zone. Um, they've got to, they, they, you know, they're outside of the top 70 right now in defensive efficiency. Um, it's, it's hard to be great when you guard that way. On the other hand, um, it's a cliche that defense wins championships, but it's not actually true in college basketball. Offense wins championships. Great offensive teams are are, are usually um, factors when we get to that bracket, and they are uh, terrific offensively and just in general uh, really good. Again, the last night's game was a, a great um, opportunity to retweet people and make them look silly because – Folks get caught up in the moment. And so I had a guy, Kentucky fan, 
Um, and God bless Kentucky fans. They, they, they're as passionate as anybody, if not more passionate than everybody. But they have in a some of them, not all, some of them have a unique ability to like make everything about Kentucky. Like um, if this happened to Kentucky, blah, 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 blah. If what happened to Duke would happen to the Wildcats, blah, 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 blah. If John Calipari did this, like that coach did that. It's just everything. Like, I, dude, I, I wasn't even thinking about you. I promise. And so this guy jumps on and he says, here's what I want to know. Tell me how many more losses, because like Duke was getting it handed to him a little bit. Uh, they did look at the moment like they were going to lose. And he was like, so how, uh, you know, how many losses does it take for Duke to actually drop out of the top 10? Any other team w- with their resume would already be out of the top 10. So like, is this one going to finally push Duke out of the top 10? And uh, to that, I... I, I waited because I was going to wait for Duke to win. No sense in getting involved in this but while Duke might actually lose. But the truth is um, you're just wrong. Like not, no team with Duke's resume, any other team with Duke's resume wouldn't have been ranked outside of the top ten because Duke's resume is super strong. Um, they have taken some bad losses in true road games, but the resume is still a top ten resume even before last night. Beyond that, um, there's not some Duke conspiracy out there, and I tweeted this last night. Like we don't have little secret media meetings where we say, "Hey, listen, guys, um, handle the uh, rankings however you want to handle them, but just make sure to keep Duke in the top ten. We need K in the top ten. It just doesn't work like that. The reason Duke is always in the top ten is because they're always one of the ten best teams in the country. They like they 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 are what everybody says they are. Excellent, almost always. I, I went back. Ken Palm ratings only go back to two thousand two. So that's 16 seasons before this season. They have finished in the top 10 at Ken Palm in 13 of the previous 16 seasons, and they're obviously in the top five right now. So why does it seem like Duke is always in the top 10? Because Duke is is almost always in the top 10. And the reason Duke is almost always in the top 10 is because Duke is almost always one of the 10 best teams. It's not that complicated, is it? It's it is not that complicated, no. And, uh they they actually had a run. It's since ended. I wrote about this like two, three years ago. But they had an, an unprecedented run. It beat UCLA streak of, of consecutive weeks being ranked in the top ten. It was insane. Like year over year over year, multiple years they actually pulled it off. It's, uh, it's kind of wild. But, uh, yeah, man, the defense is – it's problematic. I mean, there were times last night when Miami was just getting to the rim at will. And at, in that moment, it was like – Oh my gosh, Duke is never going to fix this. And maybe they don't fix it entirely. It is weird. And it was interesting that they went to zone with about 12 and a half minutes to go. And then Miami just could not run any zone offense. They weren't taking smart shots. And that ended up being the thing that helped Duke propel him to victory. Um, Duke will face teams with better point guards and and certainly better zone offenses. But it, it was the right call at the right time there last night. Uh, we move onward and upward here. Duke gets the win. Um, who do they have next? They have home against Pitt. Good yeah. Lord. Over under Duke Pitt. Over under Duke 106 points, GP. That's a Saturday game, by the way. <laughs> I, I would never predict a college basketball team to score over 106. I know, but it's home <laughs> so, against Pitt. I, but, like, hey. If there and was Duke ever is averaging, that- like, 93 a game. So if there were why. if there were ever a, an opportunity to go get 106, this might be uh, it. Pitt is in a in a bad bad uh, a bad place, but Duke is is like I said, 16 and two, and um, you know they're they're not ranked number one in the country, but you could reasonably have them, uh, I think, in the top five right now. Um, and 
and yeah, they, they look good. The, the defense is a problem. But if you talk to, I don't want to say any college basketball coach, but most, I think it's fair to say most college basketball coaches, particularly ones who rely on freshmen um, heavily, which is typically the best programs because they're the one getting the five-star freshmen, uh, they'll tell you the hardest thing to get these guys to do is play team defense because they've never done it. So when you got three or four uh, of them on the court together, uh, they've, you're asking them to do something at a high level that they've literally never done before. Um, and and that, that takes that can take some time. Like John Calipari is – I don't think he gets enough credit for, for churning out good defensive teams as often as he does given that he's repl- uh, relying on freshmen as often as um, – as often as he as he does but um obviously that is the issue for duke um and they might end up just playing zone more more often than k would prefer simply out of out of necessity we'll see and i wish them luck against uh, the Pitt panthers um clemson unc let's stay in the uh, acc for a minute that is uh, scheduled for a tuesday night and uh listen north carolina's favored i think north carolina's better but clemson's like legitimately good and normally when we talk about a clemson north carolina game uh, the only way you can envision an upset is to like really have a big imagination but also you know carolina's got to be bad clemson's got to be way above its head i don't think that's necessarily true right now i mean clemson's sitting here as a two loss team um they've got a win over miami a win over louisville went over florida went over an ohio state team that is obviously good um they can win at carolina i don't think they will but it wouldn't be crazy uh, it actually would be crazy. You still think it would be crazy? Yeah. I mean, this team is 0-58 in its lifetime at Chapel Hill. <laughs> I No, 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 it's no. It's actually no, crazy no, if they win this no, game. No, no, no. This team is not 0-58. This program. That's, that program is. This team ain't never played in Chapel Hill. And this team is top 15 at Ken Palm. There's nothing crazy about being top 15 at Ken Palm and going and winning a game against a, a, a very good team. But, like, if you're top 15 at Ken Palm, you – it doesn't take craziness, wackiness to go win. They can do it. I don't think they will, but they could. I won't call it crazy if they do. You know, I'll call it hit. I'll call is, it hit. I got nothing against uh, Clemson as a program that coached those these players. This is one of those weird stats that I kind of hope never changes. Like, <laughs> it's just it's so ridiculous that they've never once been able to steal a win in Chapel Hill. Dude, uh, Wofford won. Wofford won at Chapel Hill this season. <laughs> How could? Why can't you do it? <laughs> exactly. Why well, uh, Wofford can do it, you can do it, Clemson. Go 7, do it. 7 p.m. tip here on Tuesday night. I, I, will... I, feel like, I feel like if you just let Dabo take a team in there every year, he'd get one eventually somehow. Even Dabo just coaching coaching basketball. Yes, Dabo coaching basketball. He'd get, he'd get one somehow eventually. Yeah. Um, I'm going to take North Carolina here. I'm, I'm definitely interested in this game because um, I want to see how Clemson, with a really solid defense, is, is able to – uh, try and keep North Carolina uh, relatively slow. I don't know if they're going to have any sort of success with that. They're going to try it, um, and usually that team that wants to do that is going to have some success. But give me UNC like 78. I'll go 78-68 North Carolina, but definitely a, an intriguing Tuesday night game, even with a loss here for Clemson. Um, they're still looking solid right now for NCAA tournament stuff. Obviously, they're 15-2, and two, but they're about to hit a tough stretch here. Okay, They have UNC tonight, and, and Clemson fans, I know, there have been many times over the past 15 years where you've had seasons that started strong and then just totally petered out. And here is the critical moment, okay, or the critical stretch, because they're at UNC tonight, Saturday, home to Notre Dame. Matt Farrell will 
being in that game, you got to take advantage there because then you're at Virginia. At Georgia Tech, that's not easy. And then you get UNC on your home floor at Wake Forest. It, Clemson needs to get out of this. So that's one, two, three, four, five, six. That's a run of six games. Clemson just needs to go like three and three in those, okay? And there's two home games. Steal one on the road. You'll still be in pretty good shape. If you're two and four, then you might start to press a little bit as a fan base. Don't think that you're going to get the win there tonight. Um, I'm going to take UNC. GPI, I presume you as well. We'll take the Tar Heels. Yeah, uh, if we learned anything from the last podcast, you and I tend to favor home teams, particularly good home teams. Like it, it really in college basketball, you never expect or rarely expect a good home team to lose. Like if you're ranked top 15 in the country, unless you're playing some elite program, you're probably supposed to win that game at home. And um, and care, you know, so I, I'll take Carolina uh, at home. But I I will not think it's crazy if uh, if Clemson wins. And I won't be shocked if Clemson wins. And I'll be happy for Clemson if it wins. I don't root against them the way you do. Okay. Um, before we get to Trey Young over under. And you know, you know what? You know what is only 120 miles from Clemson, by the way. Exactly. Now we're. On do, the do you? Yes. Do you? Yes. 120 miles from Clemson. Chester, you know South what? Carolina. It's 120 miles exactly. Yeah, of course. And what is what is happening on Tuesday night? Kentucky is playing at South Carolina. Holy crap! Holy crap! It's happening. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry, MF, and Teagle. Shouts to Kyle Porter and Kyle Boone. Kentucky, South Carolina scheduled for Tuesday night. That snuck up on me, Norland. I didn't even realize it. I know. I knew you Woo! didn't realize it. It was on my radar. It's been circled on my calendar for six weeks now. <laughs> uh, this is obviously uh, a very important game near and dear to the podcast. Because in 2010... GP- January 26, 2010. Yes, yes. You can run through the whole thing if you want to. But regardless, uh, the Wildcats now will try and avoid on Tuesday night what they could not avoid in 2010 when Devin Downey uh, ended Kentucky's undefeated run that season. This one, GP, I'm calling it. South Carolina's winning this game tonight. They're going to beat Kentucky. Frank Martin, who was 10-6 and all of five, six days ago, and got a road win against Georgia, is now going to go 12-6. and six. He's in the thick of it for Zion Williamson. Will this kind of win create some sort of momentum? they got Bowen in the mix trying to get him eligible. I'm going to take the Gamecocks to just completely uh, muck up this SEC picture. I'll go South Carolina 65-63 over the Wildcats. Oh, Wow. I'm very excited about Kentucky, South Carolina tonight. I didn't realize this. And if you don't think I will shout out Devin Downey on television tonight. You better. I, I 100% will. You let you let South Carolina win this game, and I will shout Devin Downey from the CBS Broadcast Center straight into your television. I feel like – and I'm not high on the South Carolina team. Like, I don't think they're very good, but I, I'm compelled to do it. Are you going to do this or what? Give me the Gamecocks. Gamecocks straight up. Shouts to Devin Downey. It was January 26, 2010. He got 30 points, 5 rebounds, 3 assists, 2 steals, 68-62. Upset of the Wildcats. So tonight, give me South Carolina, 68-62. Love it. Okay. And we have uh... – that was your most aggressive straight up. By the way, I think you hit fourth gear on that. Um, I'm excited. I'm excited. Yeah, I can tell. Uh, we've got Oklahoma at Kansas State. That uh, obviously means we have Trey Young over under. We also have Oklahoma in a road game. And this just, for Kansas State, 
two and three in the league. Not a star on this team. Not a great defensive team. You want to make the NCAA tournament? You get a home win against the Sooners. Who do you like in this game? And let me set this over under. Trey Young is now officially above 30.0 points per game at an average. Um, this is a road game. Uh, let me set let me set his scoring. Let's go 34.5 for mm-hmm. Trey in points. Mm-hmm. And we'll go... Uh, We'll go. We'll go an even ten point five. Not an even. We'll go ten point five assists for Trey Young. What are you going to take? Under points, over assist. All right, under thirty four and a half points, over ten and a half assists. I am not with you. I will go uh. over on points, and I will go under on assists. Um, and I think it's inevitable for him to get a triple double. I don't know if it happens tonight, but I think he's he's angling toward that. He'll uh, get one. I'm I'm going to I'm going to take Kansas State here now home team yes but they are in need of a win uh, they are going to just try and slow 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 uh, Oklahoma down as best as they possibly can I think they're barely going to do it here um, so give me the Wildcats if they don't win this game they're going to be in trouble they might uh, they might put themselves in a really tough spot here who are you taking. I'll take Oklahoma on the on the road. I mean, they've already won um, at at some very difficult places. You know, they they won at uh, Wichita State. They won at uh, TCU. Um, if you can win at Wichita State and TCU, you can win at Kansas State. Doesn't mean they will, obviously. Um, but I'll take I'll take. I'll take the road team here. I'll take Oklahoma. They're just really playing at a high level. And even if you like, they can run away from you. Like they can run off on you in, inside of four minutes and take a four-point lead and turn it into a 15-point lead. Like they're just super explosive on that end of the court. Um, I'll take Oklahoma. You're taking Kansas State. I will take Kansas State. Don't have a lot of confidence in it, but I can see the Wildcats maybe throwing a little bit of a mess here. And by the way, in doing that, removes Oklahoma uh, with a tie in the loss column with Kansas in the Big 12. Maybe things are shifting that way in- inevitably. Um, before we get out of here, uh, there's a game on Wednesday night that probably doesn't register nationally, but it's uh, an interesting matchup between a coach and his former school. Uh, Tennessee is playing Missouri. That means Conzo Martin is coaching against Tennessee. And I think most people who follow the sport closely, certainly people who follow uh, Tennessee, understand that that relationship was odd. Um, there were petitions to fire him and rehire Bruce Pearl. This happening all while, yeah, maybe a season wasn't going smoothly, but they did end up in the Sweet 16. And I went and talked to to Conzo about this after he left Knoxville and was at Cal. I went out to Berkeley and spent a few days, and he was very candid, very uh, honest, open about you know it 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 felt ugly for reasons other than than basketball. There was cert- certainly, at least certainly, in my opinion. And I think certainly in a lot of those players' opinions, uh, Jarnell Stokes is somebody I've talked to about this, um, it felt uh, there was a racial element to it. And it, it got really nasty to the point to where um, he did something that college basketball coaches don't normally do, uh, which is leave one Power 5 job for another Power 5 job, um, unless it's a clear step up in job. And obviously, Cal is not a clear step up in job from Tennessee. In fact, you could argue that it's a, a step down 
And yet he made that move for a lot of different reasons. But how nasty it got was was certainly uh, on the list. And I say all that to, to say I give Rick Barnes a lot of credit for speaking up on this topic um, because he didn't shy away from it. Um, this is a, a, a quote uh, I read from earlier in the week. Rick Barnes was asked about you know, Conzo and coaching against Conzo and Conzo coaching against Tennessee. And, and he said this, quote, I don't know if Conzo was ever fully embraced here, but if he wasn't, people should be ashamed of themselves. He's a class guy and a great coach. And that is a coach who has had two not great years at Tennessee, and but this one is obviously going well. Uh, they're ranked in the top 25. I, I think Rick Barnes should be uh, on under consideration for not only SEC Coach of the Year, but National Coach of the Year, given that he's taken a team that was predicted to finish, I believe, 13th in the SEC, and they're in the top 25 right now. And so he's enjoying a good relationship suddenly with his fan base, and he essentially like calls the fan base out a little bit here because of the way they they treated Conzo Martin, and I uh, he didn't have to do that, obviously. There are ways to talk around literally anything you want to talk around, but for him to be so direct, I'm sure Conzo appreciated that. And uh, I thought it was—I thought it was impressive. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to like to see the text message or hear the phone call between Conzo and Rick, because I assume they will, if they have not already, just contacted Conzo. Obviously, reaching out to Rick on behalf of that. We'll remind listeners for some context on this. Rick Barnes was really successful for a long time at Texas, and had a long list of critics because some of it validated he had a lot of talent there, but did not in the big picture. When you look at how much talent Rick had in the context of the league at that point, his career at Texas was really good could have been better and he's speaking I think uh, perhaps subconsciously from some experience in that um, some Texas fans did not appreciate them for as much as he could have. Tennessee was even worse and much more volatile. Uh, perhaps, you know, certainly had some uh, some racial stuff there involved as well. Um, it was really ugly with Conzo. Do not blame him for getting out of that situation whatsoever. Um, glad we brought this up because we'll see what the, what we'll see one what happens in the actual game here because um, it is an interesting game. And as a reminder for those listening, um, this is a uh, a Wednesday night game, but it's also a home game for Conzo. So. Um, let me check real quick now that we do this. Do they play? No, they don't. So Conzo just got the job. This is the only game against Tennessee this season, and it's home. So Conzo does not have to go back to Knoxville this season. I would think that this means uh, with SEC schedule rotations, he'll go back next season, in which case this will kind of get rehashed once again. But good on Rick Barnes for saying what he said. And that's obviously, uh, from a basketball standpoint, uh, that's just an interesting game because both teams could really use those wins. Uh, Tennessee's in a better situation right now than Missouri, but if Missouri can get that kind of win, it can start to develop a nice NCAA tournament resume in and of itself there. So that's uh, that's an intriguing one to keep an eye on. And then just so listeners know, we will have another podcast for you, our third of the week, ready for you bright and early when you wake up on Thursday morning. We'll recap anything from tonight and anything that happens on Wednesday, and then obviously we'll preview the Saturday games ahead. And uh, look forward to discussing what else we have gotten wrong from this podcast on the next one. Can't wait for that. Please go subscribe to the Island College Basketball Podcast. Rate it favorably, you guys. Uh, I know I say it consistently, but I, I mean it every time. Um, have been excellent, great about doing that. We really appreciate it. It does help. Um, so uh, if you've done that, thank you. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do. Um, rate it favorably. Leave nice comments. And like Norlander said, we will talk to you again early on Thursday. Till then, take care.